It's time for Speaking of Speaking, quick tips and tools to take you from stage fright to spotlight. This podcast gives you an inside look from the world of public speaking and speaking secrets you need to be bold from the stage, no matter what business you're in. The host of Speaking of Speaking, Carl Richards. Thank you, Matt. It's another edition of the Speaking of Speaking podcast, and my guest today is Paul Ross. Paul is an author, speaker, trainer, master hypnotist, and master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming as well. Now, for the past 30 years, he's taught tens of thousands of people the power of language to persuade, sell, heal, turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones, and pain into passion. We're so thrilled he's here today, and today we're talking about the power of language. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And I have to say, before we go any further, I have an ulterior motive to be oh. on this podcast. And that is whenever I speak or train or teach, I'm on a mission to help already successful entrepreneurs and business people take it to the next level. And my real motive behind all of that is I want people to fall in love with language. So I've seen the power of language to transform people on so many levels. And my ulterior motive today is to get people to fall in love with language. I've seen it do so many wonderful things, both for clients and the people who the clients serve. But the opposite side of that, Paul, is if you're not using the right language, it can have an adverse effect on your business, your clients, and even your confidence in moving that ball down the field. Particularly when it comes to mindset, it's crucial. I got my start in an interesting and odd way. I don't put this on my one sheet because I like to spring it on hosts. Originally, I was a dating and pickup women coach for guys who are like 30, 40, 50 year old virgins who'd never had a date in their life. So I had to learn how to quickly change people's mindsets. If you think about people who have screwed up mindsets, I didn't have time to waste on theory. I am a hypnotist and I do neurolinguistic programming, but I didn't have time for theory. This is bare knuckle, no holds barred, street fight change work where you're grappling with the unconscious mind, kicking in the nuts, gouging eyes, chokeholds, anything you can do to change mindset. And in the course of doing that, I learned some very unique things about how language keeps us stuck or language sets us free. It's very powerful. Look, I apply it today in my own challenges. I'm going through a tremendously challenging time. I have a dear friend and mentor who's in critical condition from COVID. He's on a ventilator. And there's a lot of freak out going on in my head. And also I'm doing some things with my language to stay stable enough to keep working and keep my appointments. In those earlier days, then what kind of tools would you have been using language wise to help people navigate through NLP, the dating well, scene? Yeah. Well, for example, if someone came to me and said, I'm just a loser with women. He's mm. making an identity statement. I am. And I would have them reframe it, which is more true and empowering. I am a loser or I can't do this or this phrase. Up until now, it was my experience that I didn't have the skills to achieve my connection with my wonderful ladies. Do you understand? So mm-hmm. I use the words up until now. Very powerful words. Anytime you make a limiting self-statement, When you put those words up until now in front of that statement, what does it do? It binds the statement in time and says it's not always going to be the case. It's just up until now. And then when I say up until now, it's been my experience. It leaves room for the possibility that maybe that's just an interpretation, not the way things are. Up until now, it has been my experience that I didn't have the skills 
the minute we shift it from being about their identity, I am a loser to I didn't have the skills. Now it's no longer about something that's fixed and stuck that you can't change, like your blood type. And it simply becomes a matter of learning something new. So do we beat ourselves up too much then by putting those phrases in our mind? I don't know that it's beating up. It's just an attempt. It's damaging and injuring as much as it is beating ourselves up. It's sorrowing ourselves and despairing Mm. ourselves. And I think sorrow and despair and these kind of things are as powerful a blockage to success as fear. Because if you have a side of yourself that's constantly engaging in the activity of self-doubting, notice I didn't say you have self-doubt. I said you're engaging in the activity of self-doubting. I'm turning a thing into a verb because verbs imply something that's an activity. Activities can be changed. Identity is very difficult to change. Let me unpack that and bring it down to the ground so you can really practically see it. Have you ever known someone who's objectively quite attractive and you give them a compliment and they say, yeah, but I look fat in this. And no matter how many times you try to get through, they can't hear it because beliefs are self-confirming. Beliefs will cause us to edit out things that would contradict or change the beliefs. It's cognitive bias or a premature cognitive commitment as someone, an author I'm reading, Benjamin Hardy says. So When we make it about our identity, it becomes very hard to change. But when we make it about skills that are lacking, it's relatively easy to change people's beliefs about acquiring a skill. So it's hard to change beliefs about identity. If someone says, I am stupid, it's very difficult to change that because you'll just filter out any evidence to the contrary. But if you say to them, how about it is my interpretation that up until now, my experience has been that I have not been as effective as I'm now choosing to be. That's a big mouthful, and it sounds like a lot of linguistic manipulation, but in reality, it's a different kind of spell to cast on yourself. We are always casting spells on ourselves, always, because we're meaning-making creatures. The brain is hardwired to search for meaning. So either we're going to consistently, deliberately set the meaning we give things, or we're going to default into our old patterns. And generally speaking, we are hardwired in the mammalian brain to look for what's not working. It's a survival mechanism. How challenging is it to reprogram, even just get the phrasing, you know, when you come to the point where you say, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, that you can reprogram it. It takes about 90 days. Well, it depends. If you have someone coaching you and guiding you, it's a different story. Sure, It's learning to speak a new language to yourself. And so that requires patience and joy, a joyful commitment to doing it. If you can add a little bit of joy into it, just a little tiny bit into doing it, because once you begin to see the slightest shifts, then you begin to see really over time, the slightest shift can bring really big results. Let's shift gears a bit, Paul, and talk about from a sales perspective, because I mean, you and I both know that everything is sales based on your past and what you've done. Those are, you know, some of the language you would have shared is probably similar to what you would share with salespeople as well. Here's a question. What are four words you can use in the first minute of, say, a sales presentation to create immediate, unbreakable rapport and trust? Sure. That's something that I have a very unique insight on. I should tell you that because I come from outside of the world of selling, When I dove into the world of selling, I brought a different perspective. So these are what I call implied relationship words. Here's a key. I'm going to give you the words word for word, but I want to give you the principle first. Two principles. You're never selling your product or service. 
you're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. In order for people to make a decision, they not only have to trust you, they have to trust their own ability to make that decision. Nowadays, it's not enough to get them to know, like, and trust you. And I am going to answer your question word for word, so bear with me. But they also have to trust their own ability to make a good decision. So here's how it works. Those words are we, explore, together, and share. So a typical sales presentation may be like, hey, it's really great to be here today and blah, 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 blah. Before I show you our marketing plan, please ask any questions that come up and blah, 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 blah. Do you get it? Yep. Yep. But I would say something like, before we explore our marketing plan together, I invite you to please share the questions that naturally arise when a great decision is being made. So let's unpack that for a minute. We, not I, but before we. We implies, but doesn't say we're in a relationship, correct? Yes. Or we explore. Let's look at that word exploration. When people explore together, that's a shared activity, correct? Mm-hmm. For every exploration, there must be a leader. And wherever there's a leader, there must be a... There must be a follower. Correct. So we are not saying, I am your leader and you are my follower. We're implying it. Whatever you imply, the listener or reader will interpret and fill in the blank for themselves. And whenever you can get a person to imagine for themselves or think for themselves will be perceived as being their own thought. And therefore, they will not resist it. We share before we explore this together. Together implies a relationship. I just want to invite you to please share, not ask the questions, but share the questions. So every time they raise their hand or every time they bring up a concern or ask a question, it's reinforcing the suggestion that there's a relationship. Do you get it? Absolutely. Yep. Look at the power of the difference between just that one word, share and ask. What's the difference between asking a question? When I ask a question, it's something I do to someone. When Mm -hmm. we share a question, it's an activity that we're doing together. So all of these things stack together. When you take three positively emotionally charged words and you stack them together in sequence, the unconscious mind must put a positive spin on the rest of what you're saying. That's just how it's wired. It's the law of three in hypnosis. So we explore together and share. And, share. and one of those words for sure, I learned about a long time ago in broadcasting. You know, you always refer to you or we or us collectively, you refer to it like that. You always brought the listener as you didn't say, hey, you guys, or I'm doing this. You always brought them into the equation like that. But I like how you explained the explore part of that and also the sharing, because I certainly can see the difference between saying, don't hesitate to ask your questions. There's a difference between asking and don't hesitate to share your questions. And maybe don't is putting a negative on it, but certainly the sharing. I think people naturally want to share or they feel inclined to share if they're given the opportunity. That's right. And it builds a snowball effect. Even if they share just an innocuous question, a minor question, each time they do it and they receive and that sharing is received in a non-judgmental way, it builds the rapport and builds it and builds it and builds it. Contrast this, if I may, with the traditional ways of building rapport where you have to marry the other person's body language and match how they speak. Those things can work. Don't get me wrong. And when I work with people, I'm not saying discard your old sales process entirely. If what you're doing is working, and I only work with people 
who are already pretty successful, no disrespect to those who aren't. I just, at my point in my career, can choose. And so I do. I encourage them. I always encourage them to watch their language and to understand the power of language to move the imagination. It's just so powerful. It's funny how you mentioned the more traditional sales techniques of the, you know, if you nod your head, you get agreement from the other person. If you raise your hand, especially in virtual presentations these days, you know, you get group agreement and all those things. As you say, they might work, but I believe, and obviously so do you, that's why you've made it your work, is that the language you choose, the words that you use, how you spin them, you can nod your head all you want. If you're using the wrong language, you might not be having the effect you want to have. And here's the other problem with traditional techniques. Everyone is doing them. Your competition is doing them. And your customers have heard them a hundred times. So now they're hip to them. As a mentor of mine once explained to me, a tactic, identified as a tactic, disarmed. And so it's only by going outside of the box. And again, if your sales process is already successful, great. Don't throw away what's working. Just enhance it by what I'm showing you. Do you have an example of how powerful this has moved a client or has moved something forward that you've worked on? Yeah, sure. So I had a client who actually initially was one of my successful women clients. He met his wife using my stuff. So he came to me and said, you know, I run this call center from the Philippines. We do outbound calling, outbound sales, and we keep getting this objection. I said, what's the objection? He said, the objection we get is you're at a call center, aren't you? You're probably somewhere in the Philippines or India, aren't you? And that immediately devalues everything. I taught him, say this, when you hear that, here's what you say. You're right, sir. I am a member of a dedicated service team. You're smiling for those who wow. can't see the video. <laughs> you see the reframe? But here, Absolutely. that's the law of three again. Dedicated, that's a positive, emotionally charged word. Service, that's a positive, emotionally charged word. Team, that's a positively, emotionally charged word. It's the law of three in hypnosis. Stack three suggestions. And then the other thing, I don't want to give away too much, but I had a client, he was a loan officer for a company called Loan Depot. You probably heard of Loan Depot. They're one of Mm -hmm. the major mortgage loan companies in the United States. And he got a lot of, I need time to think it over. The traditional thing is to say, well, can you tell me what your concerns are that would stop you from acting today? Which isn't bad. That's not bad, but I like to do what I call a pattern interrupt. Pattern interrupts are another hypnotic technique that essentially give your prospects amnesia. They erase the entire objection. So let's role play. Just say to me, I need more time to think it over. Paul, I need more time to think it over. Hey, I understand. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever taken a long time to think something over and it still turned out to be a horrible decision? Maybe it's (laughs) not about time, but about the clarity you need to recognize You can feel good moving forward today. Did you just hear the suggestion? You can feel good moving forward today. So thinking about like that, what do we really need to get out on the table so you can feel good about this? Now you're giving the client permission to tell you what the real problem is. And let's say they say, well, I need to talk it over with my spouse. I'll say, of course, it's important that they also see all the reasons this is a great decision. Wow. Paul Ross is my guest today. We're talking on the power of language, emotionally charged words. That's one of the notes I made, Paul, because I think that emotionally charged words, you can really do some serious damage in your business in a good way. 
Well, and also it's fun. It's funny. You <laughs> laughed when I did that with you, didn't you? It's really fun. You <laughs> smiled and you laughed. It was a subtle laugh, I think, that the people didn't hear. Yeah. But it's fun to do. When you do this and you do your first couple of pattern interrupts and you work and you think, holy spit, that worked. You're going to think, oh my goodness, Paul's a little nut bar, but he's making me tons of money. Sure, he can talk to his cats and wear a magical green lantern ring and collect comic books. I don't care. He's making me dough and I'm having fun. What is the first thing about your prospect you must focus on and take into consideration if you want to skyrocket your sales? Okay. And this is not just prospects, but if you're addressing an audience, I don't care what it is. Okay. The first thing is what states of consciousness do you want them to be in when they receive your message? Can I unpack that for you? Absolutely. Yep. Here's a metaphor. You have a sheet of gold foil and a sheet of cardboard and you want to conduct electricity. This is not a trick question. Which one of those two mediums, the cardboard or the gold foil, is going to conduct the electricity? The gold foil. Of course. We know this instinctively. Mm -hmm. So consider your words, your message to be the electricity and the state of mind your prospects or your audience is in to be that conductive medium. How can we get them off the cardboard of feeling bored or unfocused or skeptical and into those gold foil states of feeling curious, turned on to the message, focused, excited, enthusiastic, without the traditional everyone dance, okay, which to me is just so idiotic and undignified. I will not allow that in my talk. And so the real question becomes, how do we create those states rapidly and quickly? Now, one way is storytelling, as we know. But again, I like to create states of focus and fascination and to even say, before we explore this world of influence and persuasion together, I'm not sure all the ways you'll stop and find yourself really focusing in on what it is I have to say in a way that gets you excited for your own reasons. But as that takes place today, I just feel so honored to be the person that's guiding you through that process. So, and then I would move through it. So I'm hypnotically implanting those suggestions that they're going to find their own reasons to get more and more excited and more and more focused. I'm not telling them how. I'm not saying for the first five minutes, you're going to feel it building. And that's because I'm going to be relating these stories, X, Y, Z, and you'll benefit. I'm leaving it completely vague. So they fill in the blanks. You know, the traditional thing we're taught as influencers and salespeople is always make the message clear. Right. And I'm right. saying, no, no, there's times to make the message very unclear so your prospects and your audience fill in the blanks. So it makes it feel like you're speaking directly to them. Wow. Paul, this is great insight and great discussion. It. One of the things I've seen as a podcaster, speaker, trainer, even as a broadcaster is, you know, people measure the success, for example, of a talk with what was your closing ratio? You know, from your talk, you sold so many books or you did this or you did that. Is that a good measure of success? Or would you say a good measure of success is, did I communicate effectively? It's not either you know, powerful or. language. Okay. So what I'm pointing out to you, if I were coaching, I would say, look yeah. how you're creating an either or instead of an and. A lot of times when people are stuck, it's because they're living in either orville instead of and land. And opens up possibility to do things that seem paradoxical. And paradox, there's tremendous power. Again, we're not taught that. We're taught to look at it as, okay, well, if I didn't do this, I should have done this. Or this didn't work, no. so it must have been this. So we're given that either or. That's a very atomistic view of things. Everything mm. depends on context. What context are you in? What is your unit of measurement? How are you measuring? 
What is your state of mind when you do the measuring? All of this involves the science of objective measurement, which is the numbers, Mm -hmm. but then the subjective measurement of looking, what was my mood at the time? What was my frame of mind? Did my audience make a match to my market? Was I expressing with passion and precision? Or was it just one without the other? I think to be a good communicator and a good speaker, you need passion, but you need precision too. There are many people who are passionate, but they're not precise. There are people who are precise, but they're not passionate. And finding that balance is something that is an art form and it takes work. But once you get it, it's a superpower. For people who want to learn more, how can they get a hold of you? Or what would you like to pass along to them today? Text the word COMPEL to 411321, that's COMPEL to 411321, to receive the power of invisible influence and other resources to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion. If you're outside the United States, text PLUS1909741. One three two one. That's plus one nine zero nine seven four one one three two one. I just want to express my thanks for being such a great interviewer and allowing me to address your audience. I hope as they listen multiple times to this podcast, as I'm sure they will, that each time they draw a different nugget, take notes, write down what you've learned after multiple listenings, and make them into like little index cards and go through them every day for a couple of weeks until you really drill it into your brain. My guest today again has been Paul Ross. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. And remember, get out there and own the platform. Thanks for listening to the Speaking of Speaking podcast. Fired up about something you heard today? Want to learn more? Be sure to visit carlspeaks.ca and don't forget to follow Carl on Twitter at carlrichard72 or join the Facebook group Speaking of Speaking 